0: Let's get back into the word this morning. We're back in Acts and we covered the first chapter last time we were together. We saw that Luke was continuing what he had already started in writing to Theophilus, Theophilus, old lover of God. So it wasn't just this man, this Roman official who was probably Paul's lawyer, but at the very least one who was going to write an apologetic for the faith. And I believe a brief for Paul. And, and the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison there, waiting to go to trial. So it's quite uh, beyond coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. But we also saw, as we finished the first chapter, that the apostles and Peter began the conversation uh, wanted to fulfill the void, the office that was left open because of Judas. Jews, Judas, amazingly, had so well hidden his treachery, his betrayal, his unbelief in that when Jesus said recorded for us in John's gospel that this night one of you will betray me every single one of them responded by saying to the lord is it, is it i is it i is it i so well was judas able to masquerade his unbelief to hide it and you know that's so true today with so many today who profess his name but don't possess his person his holy spirit hmm? Well, nonetheless, they decided that they were going to replace Judas, and they had some requirements for anyone who would step up and fulfill the office of apostleship, in the strictest sense or definition of the term apostolos, which means a representative of Jesus Christ in an the office of apostle. And so, they had some requirements. So, what were some of the requirements that they gave? You had to have been witness of the ministry of Jesus from the baptism of John, by John at the Jordan, to his ascension. What other requirements were there? I'm sorry? You had to have been one to have seen the resurrection. There was a post-resurrection appearance of the Lord before you. And we also know that tradition teaches that they had to be able to perform apostolic miracles, and so could anyone fulfill those requirements today? No. No, no. So don't let anyone ever tell you that they carry the office of apostle. Although there are many heretics today who claim that office can't be possible. But in the general sense of the term, epistolos, where one is sent out to share the teachings of their master, who's an apostle? We all are. That's right. We all are. But I wanted to make that clear for you this morning. Uh, And then Paul did, in fact, fulfill those requirements because he was sent by the Sanhedrin to investigate this Nazarene heresy that began. When the buzz began to occur all over Israel and Jerusalem of this one who claims to be the Messiah, but the people were claiming him to be the Messiah before long before he allowed them to declare him to be the Messiah. So Paul would have been a witness. Was Paul a witness of the resurrection? Did Paul perform apostolic miracles? And was Paul not a, a writer of the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ of the scriptures? Yeah. Unlike you and I today, they could write and say, let's say the Lord and declare what the Lord was saying, but you and I, the best we can say is thus saith the Bible. The Bible says, right? Yeah. So that's where we ended off. Let's pick it up where we ended off. We're in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. Mind if we pray again? Lord, we recognize that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. Uh, Lord, I'm Probably going to share more information than they're uh, ready to absorb right now, but maybe not. But Lord, you know what you have for each of us to glean this morning. So may we each pick up the gleanings that you have for us as we meander through this field of your word, Lord. We are but beggars. We know that the, the poor in Israel, rather than beg, they would go out into the fields and glean in the corners of the field, and then what was left. And so, Lord, we are beggars, blind men, women, groping in the dark for the knowledge of the Holy One, for understanding more and more of you and your person, Lord. And you will never, ever, ever stop putting us at awe as we go into your word, Lord. Oh, so much to learn. So much you bring to our remembrance, but so many things new as well, Lord. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, impart to us that which you have for each of us, Lord. Inform us. Illuminate our minds, Lord. But, Lord, move us. Swell our hearts, Lord. And, Lord, may it stimulate us to action to where we truly become your apostles, sharing the truth and nothing but the truth. I hope it's God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's stop here go back to that first verse now when the day of Pentecost had fully come the word Pentecost comes from where? I'm sorry? Leviticus, Leviticus? no Pentecost is, well there's the 50 days but Pentecost is a Greek term isn't it? it's a Greek term meaning 50 now the Jews and the Messianic Jews believing Jews would never call it Pentecost what do they call this time? The feast of what? Weeks. The feast of weeks. You get that from Leviticus, and you get that from Exodus chapter nine. You get that from Deuteronomy. The feast of weeks. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. 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 The feast of weeks. Now, the Jews would refer to it as such, the feast of weeks. It's in the month, the Jewish month of Sivan. It begins at the sixth on sundown, ends at the seventh on sundown as well. Uh, It also happened to be the day in which King David died. King David died on Well see how that works into Peter's sermon here on the day of Pentecost where he's referencing the death of King David and I think that's what he was thinking on that day. The day in which Pentecost had fully come. So in the Greek text what is he really saying? He's saying the day in which the feast of Pentecost was Fulfilled. 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 Now you know we place great emphasis upon the Jewishness or the Israelity of the Bible, understanding the Jewishness of the Bible. If you understood the New Testament only from the Greek grammar you would miss, unfortunately, tremendous amount of the meaning of the text. You have to take that Greek text and you have to understand it with a Jewish mindset. Jewish mindset. So they don't refer to it as Pentecost. They refer to it as the Feast of Weeks. They also refer to it as the Feast of harvest, the feast of not only did King David die on that day, there was something else that they're commemorating that happened on that day that was so significant for the life of Israel what? The feast of revelation, the giving of the Torah Torah. What does Torah literally mean? Teaching. Teaching. It doesn't mean law. Torah literally in Hebrew means teaching. It is the feast of revelation in which The Jews are commemorating the giving of the law, the Torah by God to the people of Israel. When we talk about the seven major feasts of Israel, they all commemorate something God has done in the past on behalf of his people Israel. But listen to me now, listen to me closely. Each one of them are anticipatory of something that God is going to do in the future through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that truth escapes a lot of people today. But literally, Jesus Christ fulfilled Pesach. What's Pesach? Passover, Passover, on the very day. Oh, what was Passover commemorating? The exodus from Egypt, no longer slaves, but now the people of God. No longer just the children of Jacob or the sons of Jacob, but now a nation, a people was birthed on that day, wasn't it? Israel was birthed, the creation of the state of Israel. Not the state of Israel, but the people of Israel on Pesach. Then you had the feast of unleavened bread, right? Leaven, a type of sin and Jesus Christ dealt with the sin problem, didn't he? The forgiveness of sins is by repentance, confession, and turning to Christ. And then the next feast in the spring of the year, all slumped together, called Pesach. You had the Passover, first fruits, Unleavened bread and then first fruits, excuse me. Unleavened bread, sin problem that first fruits. What happened on the first fruits? Yeah, the resurrection. But the birth of the nation of Israel was a first fruits unto God, too. And there's a, a, it's in type and sign and symbol in the Old Testament, fulfilled here in the new, in the person of Jesus at Pentecost. What was birthed at Pentecost? The church. Now, From our perspective, we say the church, don't we? Messianic Judaism, what do they say? That the Messianic Judaism was birthed. Who were the 120 that were recipients of the Holy Spirit that day? They were all Jews. The Messianic Judaism was birthed on Pentecost. Now, they call it the uh, Feast of Revelation because they're commemorating the giving of the law. Pentecost, uh, Feast of Revelation. So Passover or Pesach commemorates the creation of God's people or the nation of Israel, right? Pentecost, the revelation given to the people of Israel by God through the word. Torah means teaching, teaching. And then three major feasts in which every male Jew had to attend every year was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Tabernacles is also called Sukkot, Sukkot, or Feast of Booths. Now, what was that memorializing? The redemption of the children of Israel. After the 40 years of wilderness wandering, where did they end up? In the Promised Land in the promised land. So from the Jewish perspective, and particularly the messianic Jewish perspective, they see these three major feasts as the creation of Israel, the revelation given to Israel of God, and then the redemption of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Hmm? Yeah. Um, Go to Romans chapter 11 for a moment. You see, Paul makes reference to that, makes reference to that in a implicit way, not explicit. But in chapter 11 of Romans, 9, 10, 11, what is that dealing with? Chapters 9, 10, 11 of Romans? The restoration of Israel. It's dealing with the restoration of the Jewish people. That that God hasn't cast off Israel in spite of what Reformed theology teaches today that the church somehow has replaced Israel and all of the promises with regard to Israel? No, 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 no. Not hardly. He says in verse 25 of chapter 11, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. At least you should be wise in your own opinion. That really describes a lot of reformers today, doesn't it? What are they? Wise in their own opinion. It's sad. That they're not opening up their hearts to the revelation that God has given, and that he has chosen Israel to bring about the salvation of the world individually, the freedom from sin, and to bring about the salvation of the world globally, that one day all of this world will be restored back to its original design, paradise, Right? But here he says, that Don't you be ignorant, and be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles, which ends with the end of the church age... Then God begins to work once again in the nation of Israel. The 70th seven of Daniel, that last heptad, that last seven-year period where God is dealing directly with the nation of Israel, will begin at the end of the church age. So all of this has to deal with the restoration of the Jewish people. Now, as they're looking at those three major feasts, Passover, the creation of Israel, Pentecost, the revelation of God given to Israel, Tabernacles... Redemption of Israel. Look at verse 36. Well, verse 33. Israel's restoration. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? Of him... And through him and to him are all things to whom the glory forever. Amen. Be glory forever to God. Why? Of him or through him Israel was created. Right? The creation celebrated at Passover and through him the revelation given by God. God not alone gives us the understanding that we need in the most significant things of life. And then to him being redeemed back to him. So the Messianic Jews see this verse as coinciding with the major feasts of Israel as they understand them, the creation of Israel, the revelation of God to Israel, and the redemption of Israel. Pesach, Pentecost, tabernacles, or Sukkot. Isn't that fascinating? Hmm? And the giving of the law, the feast of revelation given by God to Moses. Go to, uh, there are two particular books and passages that the Jews read during this time, the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Revelation. They'll read Exodus 19 and 20, which deals specifically with this period of time. And there's another book that really, all of the history of that book happened in the backdrop of Pentecost. You remember what that was? Who? Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, Ruth. The Book of Ruth is read at that time as well. Uh, Oh my, interesting, isn't it? We'll see that in a moment. How these two leavened loaves come before God. Hmm? But go to Exodus chapter 19 for a moment. Let's look there. Let's see, what do I want to cover here? now this was when the law was given to israel the torah meaning the teaching the teachings of god and we'll pick it up uh, verse 14 then moses went down from the mountain to the people sanctified the people washed their clothes they're preparing to meet with god to receive the law. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And then it will come to pass in the third day in the morning that there will be thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all of the people who were in the camp trembled. Now, does anybody have an interpretation of, in verse 16, the word thunderings or sound? Do you have a Hebrew K-O-L-E, Ko-L. both thunderings and voice is the same Hebrew word and it should be best interpreted voice it was a voice of God when the people all came together unified in rebellion to God and began to build the tower of Babel, what happened? and how did God divide them? By their languages. They all spoke in different languages. And it's believed from a messianic standpoint, from a, from a Hebrew understanding of the text, they believed they were, they were separated by 70 languages. And the languages that were used at that time were the voices of the thunderings of God. If you go back into reading Jewish commentaries on the text, they'll say these are the 70 voices, the languages that God brought about at the Tower of Babel. Confusion when they were in rebellion to God. But we'll see the tongues were used very differently on the day of Pentecost, or Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, the coming together of God's people, right? And Moses, verse 17, brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Isn't that interesting? Fire at Pentecost, fire here. The giving of the law, the revelation of God. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, it became louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, we all know what took place at that time, don't we? Hmm? Moses went up and he received the Ten Commandments. God wrote the Ten Commandments, carved out these two tablets of stone from the mountain, and then he, by the finger of God, wrote the commandments in. And what happened after that? Hmm? Oh, they broke the commandments of God before they even received them. Go with me to Exodus 32. 32. Thirty-two twenty-eight. now Moses came down from the camp and we know what was taking place they were worshipping the golden calf and why was it a golden calf that they were worshipping <coughs> it was the principal deity of the Egyptians that they began to worship these false gods but what are behind all of these false gods demonic entities we talked about that last week. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that some more. But you need to understand, what has been reawakened in our society today is the worship of demonic entities, in the worship of materialism and sexual pleasure, child sacrifice, and worst of all is the, the occult. What happened at the Grammy Awards? Did you, any of you know what happened at the Grammy Awards? The blatant, overt worship of Satanism? Unbelievable. Unbelievable unbelievable. But nonetheless so Moses stood at the entrance of the camp verse 26 of chapter 32 and said whoever is on the Lord's side let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to the entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor, those who are worshiping the devil. Darkness and absolute rebellion to God. It's a very serious matter. And so the sons of Levi did, according to the word of Moses and about what? 3,000 people died that day. With the reception of the law, 3,000 died. Can anyone be saved through their obedience of the law? No. For the law brings forth... Oh, but what a different matter on the Feast of Revelation, on the Feast of Weeks, on Pentecost. Go back to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. We'll get into Peter's sermon next week, I'm certain. But in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, after he had presented, and oh, what a different Peter, isn't it? On the night in which Jesus was arrested, beaten, crucified, Peter was such a cowardice of man, wasn't he? Oh, but he he was so confident in his own ability that when the Lord had declared that they would betray him, he said, they may, but I will never, Lord. I'll even die for you, Lord. And then Jesus informed him of who he really was. And he said, before the cock crows, twice you will deny me three times. And so he did. But now, with the reception of the Holy Spirit into his life, what power, what boldness. What ability he has to be the witness that God has called him to be in the work of ministry. And as a result of that, what happened in verse 41 of chapter 2, what does it say? And those who, were glad, and those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to the church. Isn't that amazing? With the giving of the law, 3,000 died. But with the reception of the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Revelation, 3,000 were saved. Coincidence? No, I don't think so. No, For the law brings forth death, but the spirit, life. Life. Let me see what else I may want to share with you here. Now, uh, and as I said, in Messianic Judaism, they believe that this was the birth of what they believe in their understanding and acceptance of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. It is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. Turn with me there. Jeremiah chapter 31. Before you go to, uh, keep your finger in 31 and go to 23 for a minute. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, there's the message that Jeremiah is giving of the righteous king who would come. We're not talking about David. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus of course. And uh, we'll pick it up in, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Many of those today, aren't there? Yeah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they will fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Who's this? Jesus, Jesus, of course. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which you will be called the Lord, our righteousness therefore behold the days are coming says the lord that i shall no longer say the lord lives who brought us up out of the land of egypt but as the lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of israel from the north country and from all of the countries where i've driven them and they shall dwell in their own land this is the regathering gathering of the people of israel from the diaspora when they were dispersed throughout the nations of the world once again that there'll be a greater gathering of their people and they were more memorialized that gathering that regathering back into the land more than they would the exodus from Egypt but at that time god is going to do a tremendous work in the hearts of his people when pentecost had fully come jeremiah 31 31 through 34 has been fulfilled on behalf of the jews who gathered together that day and what did god say in jeremiah 31 31 behold the days are coming says the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel with the house of judah and jesus instituted that new covenant when the last supper passover when he said now this is the new covenant in my blood which is for the remission of sins There's only one way that man can be reconciled to god and that's through the blood of jesus christ and no other that is a new covenant, not the blood of bulls and goats, not the sacrificial system of Leviticus, which offered just a temporary covering it was a sign, a symbol, a type of which Christ would be the reality, do you understand that? there there was a righteousness that one could receive temporarily, a kofar covering for their sin, by believing the promises that the Levitical sacrificial system represented but all of it a type and a sign and a symbol of what would come in the person of Jesus Christ, do you understand what I'm saying? And so Messianic Judaism understands now that this is the fulfillment of the promise that was made by God to the Jewish people in giving them a new covenant, a new heart, and putting His Spirit upon them. This is what had taken place. Look at Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke... Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Could they keep the covenant? Who can keep the law? No. No one. No one. It's impossible. The law simply was brought about to show us our need of a savior, God's moral and ethical purity. But who can rise to that purity, that holiness, that righteousness of God? No one. Jesus said to his own, to the tiny the disciples, he said, unless your righteousness exceed that of what? The scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter in. And they said, who, who then can enter in? And he said, with man it's impossible. But with God all things are possible that Jesus Christ has done for us what we never, ever, ever could do for ourselves. The law brings forth death. But the spirit, life, life, the new covenant in the spirit, yes verse 33 but this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days says the lord i will put my law in their minds i will write it upon their hearts i will be their god they shall be my people no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying Know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and their sin i will remember no more no more now in Messianic Judaism, they believe that Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, was fulfilled on the day of Shavuot. Feast of Revelation. Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost. Right? Isn't that amazing? Now, we also recognize that that not only was the Holy Spirit given to the Jews then, and they were awakened to this new covenant that they were awakened because previously, with the giving of the law, the law was written on tablets of External, right? Mm -hmm. Now the law is written with the finger of the Holy Spirit in the flesh of your hearts. Internal. What a difference. Do you remember? Do you remember before, before the Holy Spirit really came into your heart and life and gave you the power to obey, to understand and obey the word of God? That that you were trying to harness your flesh, to, to discipline yourself over those fleshly impulses that would overtake you, and you had no power. So frustrating, wasn't it? And the more you would promise and the more you would vow, the more you would resolve, the more frustrated you became. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will say of me? See, that was Paul's experience in the first seven chapters of Romans. Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a highly disciplined man, but could not receive acceptance before God by his self-will, his self-discipline, his self-determination, and he recognized he was failing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night in the third chapter of John with the same dilemma in his life, the same frustration. Who can keep the law? We could never keep the law, could we, beloved? No. But Jesus Christ on our behalf, he has fulfilled his law. He has written it upon our hearts. For the law of the Lord is no longer burdensome to us, is it? No, it's our joy and our delight, as King David would write. Why? Why? Because now, not only does he give us the desire and the love for his word, for his will, for his work, for his way, he gives us the ability and the power to do the same. Oh, life doesn't get any better than that, does it? Does it? And so Paul understood that. All of those Jews who were recipients of the Holy Spirit that day, they understood what was taking place here. And there was such a comparison between what had happened on Sinai and what had happened there in the upper room at Pentecost. Yes, at Sinai they were given the Ten Commandments. It was written on tablets of stone. It was external. At Pentecost the Torah was written upon their hearts. Torah teaching. The teachings of God. By the finger of God. Yeah, both manifestations of God in appearance. The fire was on the mountain and nobody could come to the mountain. If you touched, set foot on the mountain, what would happen to you? You would die. But now the fire of God comes down among his people. Not for the purpose of destroying them, for refining them that refiner's fire that comes into our life. They believe there were 70 languages that they heard that God spoke. The languages that he dispersed the people at the Tower of Babel, but but now there were tongues spoken by each of them. Known languages of many peoples from all over the known world hearing the truth, the wonders, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love of God. Wow, what a difference. hmm? Yeah, and both accompanied by fire, right? One fire that would destroy another fire that would refine, cleanse, purify. Mm. Yeah. Feast of weeks. Shavuot. Pentecost. Go back to Acts chapter 2. They were in one accord in one place. and Then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as God gave them utterance now I guess in our remaining time we'll talk about uh, what is this tongues? tongues is only mentioned in two other places in the book of Acts are you aware of that? where would that be? Uh, chapter ten, go there. Chapter ten for a moment. Who got saved in chapter ten? Cornelius. Who got saved in chapter nine? Who got saved in chapter eight? The Ethiopian. Now listen, God so loved the world. But well, what about those re- peoples in the remote villages throughout the world who have never heard the gospel? What about, well, all of the world knew the gospel at one time, didn't they? How many people came off the ark? Eight. Noah and his three sons. His sons' names were? Hem, Shem, and Japheth. Hem, Shem, Japheth. The Ethiopian was a descendant of Ham. Paul, saved in chapter 9, a descendant of Shem. Cornelius, saved in chapter 10, a descendant of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Wow, isn't that amazing? Hmm? The witness still continued, the witness of God, that scarlet thread of redemption, right? Hmm. But here here in chapter 10, it's Cornelius who gets saved and says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who heard the word. And then those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. That was the mystery, wasn't it? That's why we call it the mystery kingdom. We talked about the kingdom program of God: universal kingdom, spiritual kingdom, theocratic kingdom. The mystery kingdom. And why is it a mystery? Because it was not revealed in the Old Testament. The other four kingdoms, the kingdom program of God, and the other four aspects were all revealed in the Old Testament, except the mystery kingdom. And what was the mystery? Gentiles would be brought in, co heirs with Christ, inherit the inheritance of Israel as well, grafted in, unbelievable. And those of the circumcision believed were astonished, as many as with, with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. And they heard them speak with tongues. Now, the tongues here, as described in the book of Acts, is a known language on earth for which the speakers have no previous knowledge of. Do you understand? Now we'll see that in a moment as we get into chapter 2 and into what had taken place. But they heard him speak in tongues and magnify God and Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then he asked them to stay a few days. Now these people who received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, what were they? Who were they? Romans. Romans. What would they speak? Latin. Latin. And who came with Peter? Who came with Peter? Those of the circumcision. Jews. And what would they speak? So what do you think that tongue was? That they were amazed that these people were speaking the wonders of God. They were speaking Hebrew, of course. <laughs> chapter 19. Acts. The only other place. Acts. Chapter 19. Hmm. I read it this morning, you think I'd mark it down, wouldn't you? Yep. And it came to pass, while Apollos, this is chapter 19, verse 1, Acts. Everybody there? And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper regions of, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as even heard whether well, there is a Holy Spirit. Now, I said last week that there are many people who are on the right side of the cross, on the wrong side of Pentecost. They, they, like these disciples in Ephesus, they believe, but they weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit. That baptism for ministry, for empowerment, to be his witness. And he said to them, in, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Well, what was John's baptism? the baptism of repentance, to prepare for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven, for Christ would be coming. And then Paul said, indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is the Christ, Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So that's the only other reference to tongues chapter 10, here chapter 19 and then in chapter 2 this speaking in tongues now to get a better understanding of what tongues really is, and how many of you are confused about this gift of tongues not too many good, hopefully we'll clear up your confusion mm-hmm. are you a charismatic mm-hmm. is this a charismatic church yes. believing the charisma the charisma, charismata of God, that God gives spiritual gifts and spiritual empowerment Do you believe that? I believe that. Do you believe that God heals? Yeah. Do you believe that God gives special revelation at times? Yes. Yes. Do you believe that God gives the gift of tongues? Yes. Yes. But in its proper use as described biblically. So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. I'm sorry? You have time? <laughs> well, I made a promise to the nursery workers. I have to keep my promise. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, Gifts of the Holy Spirit are breathed upon them. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb what is that one word that describes the mystery kingdom? Christendom. Christendom. dumb. Why? Because the mystery kingdom is comprised of what? Believers and unbelievers or make-believers. The true gospel, the true doctrines of God and false doctrine. This you need to understand. Okay, you were carried away by these dumb idols, and many are carried away today by them, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Christ accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this baptism is a baptism unto salvation. This is where the Holy Spirit has come alongside you, you've come to an understanding of who Jesus is, and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You can only do that through uh, the understanding and the revelation enlightenment that the Holy Spirit gives, and then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. This is the end experience, right? And, And many, all believers, all believers who profess faith in Christ, Jesus, have that in experience with the Holy Spirit, but there's a subsequent experience that you need to have with the Holy Spirit in which you were empowered for ministry. And that's what he's going to talk about next. Paul is going to describe for them how this empowerment works, this charisma, this charismata of the Holy Spirit on the life of the believer. In verse four, now there are diversities of gifts, the charisma, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit at work in the life of the believer. But this is the epi experience where you're baptized for power, for ministry, to evangelize, to teach, to instruct, to do exactly what God has called you to go and make disciples. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Logos. Sophia. Good morning, Sophia. Through the spirit, to another, logos gnosis, the word of knowledge, to another, through the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, and another, gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another, works of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues or languages, glossia, and to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all things in distributing to each one according to his will. Who distributes these gifts? The Holy Spirit. There was a type of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to the church in the Old Testament. Who was that? Abraham had sent his chief servant who is never mentioned by name when he goes to seek a bride for his son Isaac. And he goes and he finds Rebekah And when he found Rebecca, what did he give her? Gifts, gifts, various gifts. And so the Holy Spirit, as he's drawing the bride of Christ to the bridegroom, what's the Holy Spirit's name? We don't know. We just know who he is. He hasn't shared his name. The emphasis is never to be placed upon the Holy Spirit, but upon who the Holy Spirit has came to bear witness of, to give testimony of, and that's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the best friend of Jesus. If you want to, someone to testify of your good character in court, who would you want? Your best friend, right? You'd testify me for you, me, wouldn't you, dear? And so it's the best friend of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that testifies of who Jesus is. You know? And so when Eliezer came, he never mentioned his name at all, he just kept talking about his master's son. My master's son, Isaac. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus but there's way too much emphasis upon the Holy Spirit he's, he's embarrassed by what has taken place in this overemphasis of the Spirit rather than placing the emphasis where it belongs on Christ hmm. but it's the Holy Spirit that gives these gifts according to his will No, we're, we're, we're all, we all should have a gift or gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry but we're not to focus on the gifts, what are you supposed to focus on? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is giving to every believer. Every believer should be possessing and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we will focus on yielding ourselves to the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit, then He will feel free to place us in areas of ministry where he can use us to be his witnesses and then he empowers us with the gifts we need to do the same. Our chief end is to know him and to enjoy him forever. But as you know him and you're enjoying him, your ultimate desire is to serve him. And when you truly desire to serve him he'll show you exactly what area of service he has for you and he empowers you for the same. That's the purpose of these gifts. Now there's only one gift. Every, Every gift that's given by the Holy Spirit that Paul is going to describe for us here is given for the purpose of the edification of the body. Your service to the rest of the body as you're giving yourself away. There's only one gift that is used now today to edify you. And what gift is that? Tongues. Tongues. And it's primarily used privately in your private prayer time where you can sing in tongues, you can pray in tongues, but, but all that does is just edify you personally and assuring you, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hmm? But he goes on to say, for as one body, one member, and many members, all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, and also is Christ. And he's going to talk about the various uses of the gift of tongues. But I want to, let's see, I want to go to verse 4. Let's go to chapter 14. Sandwich between an understanding of the gift of tongues and the proper use of, excuse me, chapter 12 gives us an understanding of all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14 gives us an understanding of the one gift that is abused the most, which is tongues. But sandwich between the two is what? The, the 13, the love chapter. Love. All of this to be demonstrated in love. Motivated by love. Chapter 14, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, what does this mean? Prophesy here. teach. Prophecy could be the foretelling of the future but it's also the foretelling of the word of God. Now Paul is using it in that sense. It is the foretelling of the word of God. We're supposed to be able to have such a good working knowledge of the scriptures that we could foretell the understanding and the meaning of the word of God out there in the world today. Can you do that? Do you have a good working knowledge of the scriptures? And unfortunately most who say they're Christian don't. So Paul is saying I wish that you all express love And that you have a multitude of spiritual gifts, but more so that you could prophesy, that you could have an understanding and the ability to articulate, to teach the Word of God. Nothing's more important, is there? Why are my people perishing? Lack of knowledge, lack of of understanding. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, he's talking about the use of glossolalia or tongues in your private prayer time. And if I would speak in tongues right now, who would understand me? Have you ever seen some of these word of faith people who pur- purport to speak in tongues? And it's not tongues. They've been rehearsing that gibberish. And then they go back and forth on the stage. And you ever seen any of this stuff? It's ridiculous. Better you speak in a known language than in mysteries, right? For though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all... Excuse me, back to 14. Um, Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort. Edification, building up, exhortation, warning and comfort. Giving them the assurance of God's love no matter what. If you'll come to him and confess, Right? But verse 4, he says, but he who speaks in a tongue edifies. But he who prophesies edifies. Now, now do you understand the difference here? Now, if I were to exercise the gift of tongues, what would I be trying to do? Impress you that I have some kind of spirituality or power that doesn't exist, right? It's it's hypocrisy. But if I speak in tongues in my private prayer language, in my private prayer time, excuse me, that's when I edify myself. But if I prophesy, as I'm doing now, foretelling the word of God, That edifies you and me, doesn't it? Teaching. And who is ultimately our teacher? On on Sinai, it was the giving of the Torah. Torah means teaching, the teachings of God. But the teaching of God can't be understood without the help and enablement of God. And and then on Pentecost, we have the reception of the teacher, the Holy Spirit, who would lead us and mentor us into all truth. (laughs) He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who speaks in his prophecies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak with you either by revelation, by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by teaching. Speaking tongues would do nothing for you at all. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, nonsense, hot air, gibberish. Hmm? there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world but none of them is without significance, therefore if I do not know the meaning of the language, how sh- I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me, even so you since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you may seek to excel, seek gifts that edify the body exhort the body, comfort the body therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret for if I pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful now if you really speak in tongues it's a language you don't understand so you're bypassing your intellect it really is a humbling experience because you have no idea what you're saying the spirit is interceding on your behalf praying for you and through you and at times you'll feel it's absolutely foolishness because you have no understanding of what you're saying But in the spirit they do. That's what he's indicating here. Verse 16, otherwise if you bless with the spirit how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. It was southern wasn't he? yet in the church I would rather speak five words in my understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue wow, it's pretty significant isn't it where's he placing the emphasis? teaching, teaching, teaching teaching, teaching why is there so much emphasis placed upon tongues today? and especially in the charismatic movement, the hyper charismatic movement they're having seminars where they teach you how to speak in tongues, is that possible? no why is it not possible because it's a spiritual gift that only the spirit decides who gets it who's the greatest evangelism evangelist of our time was there any doubt about that is there any doubt that Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism probably more than any other man that ever existed in the United States of America is that not true and he prayed his entire life for the gift of tongues and never received it which would you prefer the gift that he had an evangelism or to be able to speak in tongues Yeah, he's touched the entire world through the gift that God's given him. Hmm? Verse 20, brethren, I do not, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature, be mature in what is good, (laughs) babes naive in what is evil. And the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet all the, for, for all that they will not hear. What's he talking about there? That... Contextually. It's... It's... They went into captivity by the Assyrians, and they didn't know the Assyrian tongue, but they were carried away, hooks in their jaws, led away, so most of them died on that trip. And The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe I've always said that apologetics, who's that for? church, the church, apologetics is really for the church, it helps strengthen our faith gives us the defense for the faith those things that we believe evangelism, the gospel is for the unbeliever apologetics is for the church to strengthen the church basically he's saying the same thing Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, yikes! And there come those in who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're out of your mind? You ever been in one of those experiences? Yeah, yeah. I remember I first came to South Carolina in 1998. I was here and I was working at General Electric and somebody invited me to a revival they were having at their church. I said, you're having revival? And I didn't understand what revival was down here. It's just a week of meetings but my understanding of revival coming from the north was that the spirit of God was moving mightily you know, revival, wow yes I'll come it was bizarre no it was insane my dear wife and I we ended up sitting in the middle section of the middle of the sanctuary and it got crazy and people running up and down the aisles and there was nothing sane going on and I told her, I said you go to the right I'll go to the left and we'll meet outside the door <laughs> it was it was insane that's exactly what Paul is saying. Brownsville revival, you remember any of that? Rodney Howard Brown from South Africa, the Toronto blessing. Any of you ever know any? You know anything about it? Insane! Thank God it's over with. <laughs> you want to draw a crowd? Burn your church down. You draw a crowd for a little while, and that's what was happening. Through this unholy spirit, they've invited in. Oh, they burned their church down. They drew a crowd for a little while. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, He is convinced by all. He is judged by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. Hey, when I come up here and I teach on a Sunday, you know, none of us have it all together, do we? Do I have it all together? Do I have all the answers? No. No, but all together? We have it all. All together we have it all. That's the beauty of being in the body, you see? My hands need my arms. My arms need my mind my mind needs my heart, etc., 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 all of the body works together and in function in harmony for the good of the whole of the body to fulfill its purposes, that which I desire to accomplish. Well, same thing is true in the body of Christ. But what a wonderful thing when an unbeliever comes in among us and I'm teaching the word of God and, and, they, and they sit next to you and they say, you know, Glenn, I don't understand. What he you say? Can you explain this to me a little further? Whew, it's beautiful how that happens. So often your questions get answered by the person you came with or you're sitting next to or someone who's been here a longer period of time. And that's how this is intended to work. That the body instructs and teaches the body. Amen? Yeah, far more superior. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If one, anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others judge. But if anything is revealed by another who sits by, let him keep... Now, the instruction by Paul given to the church on the exercise of the gift of tongues is that there is an utterance of tongues that shouldn't be any more than two or three at the most. Only if you have... Now, have you ever been into those interpretations where somebody gives a tongue, and the tongue is maybe a sentence or two, and the interpretation is a paragraph or more? (laughs) And in the gift of tongues, whom is speaking to whom? Jesus yeah, church is speaking to God or to one another. But how often is the interpretation of God speaking to the sanctuary, to the congregation? And it's so unbiblical. All of these practices that are taking place. How many of you ever experienced a real outpouring of the gift of tongues in a general assembly? It's rare. It was needed then. It was needed for the purpose of the church in its infancy. But now we have a greater understanding of the word of God where we can speak with our understanding. Speak what's intelligent, makes sense. I think this is as far as I want to go in uh, this use of tongues. But he says at the very end, uh, look at verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, to be able to explain the word of God. And do not forbid the speaking of tongues. You know, if you do that in your private prayer time, you should. But let all things be done decently and in order. Order. Now, uh, if we gather together and we just decided to open up the scriptures and, and all sit around and kumbaya and say, okay, well, what does it say to you? Would you come away with a clear understanding of the word of God? No. no, it would be all based upon how you feel or what you think rather than what God's word says. Now, as you study the word of God, do you want to study the word of God in keeping king? Context. In your study is context. What is the context? Who is speaking to whom? For what purpose? And the linguistic nuances, whether it's in the Old Testament, New Testament, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek but then you come to an understanding of the technical interpretation of the text, that's very very important, I've been in many Bible studies where, wow, they really distorted the text, mutilated the text come away with an understanding that the text wasn't giving at all better to celebrate one's death than one's birth, is that true? no it's a misunderstanding of Solomon the Jehovah's Witnesses say that you shouldn't have a birthday party no more birthday parties, okay? Why? Because the Bible says celebrate your death, not your birth. That's not true. They completely take it out of context, as, as so much of the scriptures are taken out of context by people without understanding. Acts chapter 2. Yes, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Next week, as we get further into the text, you're going to find out that there were Jews who came from all over the known world at that time, speaking different languages. Yeah, I'm still in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 they spoke in different languages, in particular it's dialectos, that, that the, those who possessed the power of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, spoke in very specific dialects to each of the people who had gathered together. So they all heard the truth of the gospel. It was the purpose for promoting the gospel to go out throughout the known world. First in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is the first phase of the gospel going forward. Now, don't be deceived, brethren. What's the most important gift for you to have? Understanding. The prophets love is the fruit of the Spirit, love. Fruit is love. Gift, understanding. Because then you can share the gospel in love and in understanding, you see. Better that you prophesy. Oh, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but more so that you would prophesy, that you would be able to foretell the word of God, that you'd be able to sit down with an unbeliever and present a logical, reasonable, understanding presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is so needed today. That's why when we gather together on Sunday morning, we want to go through the scriptures together. We'll go through the entire book of Acts and try to understand all that God has for us through the first verse, the first word, first chapter, first sentence. And to give its intent, its meaning, its understanding. Why? So that you could be edified for the purpose of witnessing and edifying, building up, comforting, and exhorting others. Amen? Yeah. Shall we stand?